Chapter seventy one of David Elginbrod. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David Elginbrod by George MacDonald. Chapter seventy one. The fir wood again. Er stand vor der himmlischen Jungfrau. Da habe er den lichten, glänzenden Schleier und Rosblutchen sank in sein Arm. Novalis, dein Lehrling Zeus. He stood before the heavenly virgin, Isis, the goddess of nature. Then lifted he the light, shining veil, and Rosebud, his old love, sank into his arms. So womanly, so benign, and so meek. Chaucer, Prologue to the Legend of Good Women. It was with a mingling of strange emotions that Hugh approached the scene of those not very old, and yet, to his feeling, quite early memories. The dusk was beginning to gather. Hoar frost lay thick on the ground. The pine trees stood up in the cold, looking, in their garment of spikes, as if the frost had made them. The rime on the gate was unfriendly and chilled his hand. He turned into the footpath. He saw the room David had built for him. Its thatch was one mass of mosses, whose colours were hidden now in the cuckoo fruit of the frost. Alas, how death had cast his deeper frost over all, for the man was gone from the hearth. But neither old winter nor skeleton death can withhold the feet of the little child's spring. She is stronger than both. Love shall conquer hate, and God will overcome sin. He drew nigh to the door, trembling. It seemed strange to him that his nerves only, and not his mind, should feel. In moments of unusual excitement, it sometimes happens that the only consciousness a strong man has of emotion lies in an unwanted physical vibration, the mind itself refusing to be disturbed. It is, however, but a seeming. The emotion is so deep that consciousness can lay hold of its physical result only. The cottage looked the same as ever, only the peat-stack outside was smaller. In the shadowiness of the firs the glimmer of a fire was just discernible in the kitchen window. He trembled so much that he could not enter. He would go into the fir-wood first and see Margaret's tree, as he always called it in his thoughts and dreams. Very poor and stunted and meagre looked the fir-trees of Turry-Puffet after the beeches and elms of Arnstead. The evening wind whistled keen and cold through their dry needles, and made them moan, as if because they were fettered, and must endure the winter in helpless patience. Here and there amongst them rose the titans of the little forest, the huge, old, contorted, wizard-like, yet benevolent beings, the Scotch firs. Towards one of these he bent his way. It was the one under which he had seen Margaret, when he met her first in the wood with her whole soul lost in the waving of its wind-swung, sun-lighted top, floating about in the sea of air like a golden nest for some silvery bird of heaven. To think that the young girl to whom he had given the primrose he had just found, the then firstborn of the spring, should now be the queen of his heart. Her childish dream of the angel haunting the wood had been true, only she was the angel herself. He drew near the place. How well he knew it! He seated himself, cold as it was in the February of Scotland, at the foot of the blessed tree. He did not know that it was cold. 
while he sat with his eyes fixed on the ground a light rustle in the fallen leaves made him raise them suddenly it was all winter and fallen leaves about him but he lifted his eyes and in his soul it was summer margaret stood before him he was not in the least surprised for how can one wonder to see before his eyes the form of which his soul is full there is no shock she stood a little way off looking as if she wanted to be sure before she moved a step she was dressed in a grey winsy gown close to her throat and wrists she had neither shawl nor bonnet her fine health kept her warm even in winter wood at sundown she looked just the same at home everywhere most at home in nature's secret chamber like the genius of the place she made the winter wood look homely what were the oaks and beeches of arnstead now homeliness and glory are heaven she came nearer margaret he murmured and would have risen no no sit still she rejoined in a pleading tone i thought it was the angel in the picture now i know it sit still dear mr sutherland one moment more humbled by his sense of unworthiness and a little distress that she could so quietly reveal the depth of her feeling towards him he said ah margaret i wish you would not praise one so little deserving it praise she repeated with an accent of wonder i praise you no mr sutherland that i am not guilty of next to my father you made me know and feel and as i walked here i was thinking of the old times and older times still and all at once i saw the very picture out of the old bible she came close to him now he rose trembling but held out no hand uttered no greeting margaret dare i love you he faltered she looked at him with wide open eyes me she said and her eyes did not move from his a slight rose flush bloomed out on her motionless face will you be my wife he said trembling yet more she made no answer but looked at him still with parted lips motionless i am very poor margaret i could not marry now it was a stupid speech but he made it i don't care she answered with a voice like thinking if you never marry me he misunderstood her and turned cold to the very heart he misunderstood her stillness her heart lay so deep that it took a long time for its feelings to reach and agitate the surface he said no more but turned away with a sigh come home to my mother she said he obeyed mechanically and walked in silence by her side they reached the cottage and entered margaret said here he is mother and disappeared janet was seated in her widow's mutch with the plain black ribbon down both sides and round the back in the armchair by the fire pondering on the past or gently dreaming of him that was gone she turned her head sorrow had baptized her face with a new gentleness the tender expression which had been but occasional while her husband lived was almost constant now she did not recognize hugh he saw it and it added weight to his despair he was left outside mother he said involuntarily she started to her feet cried my bairn my bairn threw her arms around him and laid her head on his bosom hugh sobbed as if his heart would break janet wept but her weeping was quiet as a summer rain he led 
her to her chair, knelt by her side, and, hiding his face in her lap like a child, faltered out, interrupted by convulsive sobs, "'Forgive me! Forgive me! I don't deserve it, but forgive me!' "'Hoot away, my bairn, my bonny man! Do not greet that gate. The Lord preserves. What are ye greeting for? Are now ye come home to your own? Did not David's I say, give the lad time, woman? It's unca chafe for the Lord's eye making it. The best things is I the most plentiful. Give the lad time, my bonny woman. Did not he say that? Ay, he called me his bonny woman, ill as I deserved it at his hand. And it's no for me to say on word again you, Mr. Sutherland, given ye had been a hantle wharf, nor a young, thoughtless lad could not well help being. And no, you're come home and nothing could gladden my heart more except maybe the master himself was to say to my man david come forth hugh could make no reply he got hold of margaret's wooden stool which stood in its usual place and sat down upon it at the old woman's feet she gazed in his face for a while and then putting her arm round his neck drew his head to her bosom and fondled him as if he had been her own firstborn but eh your bonny face is sharp and small to what it used to be, Master Sutherland. I do ye have come through a heap of trouble. I'll tell you all about it, said Hugh. Nay, nay, but still a wee. I ken all about it from Maggie, and good preserve us. You're clean Paris with cold. Let me up, my bairn. Janet rose and made up the fire, which soon cast a joyful glow throughout the room. The peat fire in the little cottage was a good symbol of the heart of its mistress. It gave far more heat than light, and for my part, dear as light is, I like heat better. She then put on the kettle, or the boiler, I think she called it, saying, I'm just going to make ye a cup of tay, Master Sutherland. It's the handiest thing ye can, and I doot ye'd muckle in want of something. Would you not take a drop o' to the bottle in the meantime? No, thank you said hugh who longed to be alone for his heart was cold as ice i would rather wait for the tea but i should be glad to have a good wash after my journey come your ways then bend the hoose i'll just gone and get a droppy of hot water in a decanter bide you still by the fire hugh stood and gazed into the peat fire but he saw nothing in it a light step passed him several times but he did not heed it the loveliest eyes looked earnestly towards him as they passed, but his were not lifted to meet their gaze. No, Mr. Sutherland, come this way. Hugh was left alone at length in the room where David had slept, where David had used to pray. He fell on his knees and rose comforted by the will of God. A few things of Margaret's were about the room. The dress he had seen her in at Mrs. Elton's was hanging by the bed. He kissed the folds of the garment and said, God's will be done. He had just finished a hasty ablution when Janet called him. Come away, Master Sutherland. Come bend to your own charmer. And, said she, leading the way to the room she still called the study. Margaret was there. The room was just as he had left it. A bright fire was on the hearth. Tea was on the table with eggs and oat cakes and flower scones in abundance for Janet had the best she could get for Margaret, who was only her guest for a little while. But Hugh could not eat. Janet looked distressed, and Margaret glanced at him uneasily. "'Do eat something, Mr. Sutherland,' said Margaret. Hugh looked at her involuntarily. 
she did not understand his look and it alarmed her his countenance was changed what is the matter dear hugh she said rising and laying her hand on his shoulder hoots lassie broke in her mother are you making love to the man a gentleman afore my very eye he did it first mother answered margaret with a smile a pang of hope shot through hugh's heart ow that's the gate of it is it the baron's gone demented you're no after marrying a gentleman maggie nay nay lass so saying the old lady rather crossly and very imprudently left the room to fill the teapot in the kitchen do you remember this said margaret who felt that hugh must have misunderstood something or other taking from her pocket a little book and from the book a withered flower hugh saw that it was like a primrose and hoped against hope that it was the one which he had given to her on the spring morning in the fir-wood still a feeling very different from his might have made her preserve it he must know all about it why did you keep that he said because i loved you loved me yes didn't you know why did you say then that you didn't care if if because love is enough hugh that was why the end